Hey, I am um, I'm chomping at the bit to get into the Word with you all tonight, and it's, man, so good to see you. Thank you. Let me just say thank you for showing up, <laughs> because it is easy to not show up, and especially after this past year, if I can just give you an encouragement, one of the things that I feel like is different this year is there's this timidity. I don't know if you've felt it in people. I don't know if you've seen it in people. There are some people, mainly extroverts, who were just like waiting for pandemic stuff to end so they could explode back into the social scene, and it's like, welcome back, all right? But there are people who have developed habits this last year of being in closed-off spaces by themselves. So before that was a temptation, but now that's just the life rhythm. And so they're going to their classes and they're disappearing into a dorm room and they're starting to already feel that loneliness. And you guys, you are the, the people who break those spaces. So I'm just, I want to give you an encouragement. This has nothing to do with where I'm going tonight in the text. I just want to give you an, an encouragement that you are that kind of a missionary into those spaces. God may be putting you next to somebody in class who needs that touch, who needs to say, hey, who are you? What's, what's your name? Because nobody's asked. They've not been in spaces where somebody has asked them, who are you and how are you doing right now? That's been their life rhythm for 18 months. Break that. Break that. Be the love of Jesus in their life. All right, I'm done with that, okay? A couple other announcement things, though, I really want to put out there for you. One is that I didn't, I didn't really introduce the staff, um, and this isn't like a, hey, I want you to pay attention to these people. I just want you to know who they are because we exist here to serve you guys. So I'm going to ask the pro staff just to stand up and wave quickly so that we can say hey to you guys. Look around and just see who they are. I didn't really intend for y'all to applaud and praise them, but you know, all right. You guys are pretty cool. Okay, interns, would you guys stand up? These guys are full-time staff with us too. Yeah. Um, thank you all. I, like, I just want you to know who these people are because we've committed the year to creating sacred spaces and experiences, places for you and with you where God shows up, all right? We want to invest in you, and so I just want you to know who these people are because all of us are working full-time to figure out how Jesus and college intersect. And I know we got people from Heartland, and I know we got people from ISU, and I know we got people from Wesleyan, and we probably, like, in the last couple years, we've had people from Lincoln, and Liberty, and ICC, and Bradley, and you name, like, seriously, all over the place, we have people who've just kind of, like, found us and called this place home. And so, welcome. Welcome to all of you guys. Um, one of the other things, I've got a bunch of like bookkeeping things I need to do on the front end tonight, is explain a weird thing I like to do when I teach. Okay, I didn't have time to get into it last week. I probably don't have time to do it tonight, but we're going to do it anyway, okay? When I teach, oftentimes you will see these icons at the top of the screen. And the reason why I use these is because I grew up around church and around the Bible. I mean, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home, but I, I, I grew up around the Bible a lot, but I didn't understand the Bible very much. And the more I, I've, I've met people, they feel the same, even those who've been around the Bible for a long time. And it was confusing to me. Where do you find stuff in the Bible? You know, you're in a Bible study, and it's like, hey, turn to Nehemiah. And you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> like, uh, like, oh, Lord, please let me land on this fast, okay? Um, so one of the things that I do when I teach is I've grabbed these 11 icons because I think they're important. It could be way more. I could have whittled it down to less. But I grabbed these icons because I believe that they tell basically the story of God in Scripture. And so when I teach, you'll see these icons up on the screen because I want you to know where in the Bible that I'm at, approximately. Even if you're not familiar, super familiar with the Bible, I want you to know where in the story that I'm at. So this is what these look like. In the very beginning, what do we have? Really nothing except God himself. 
We have God who is in creative mode. He is creative. He's wise. He's, he's, he's an artist as well as a mathematician and a physicist. All, right? like all of this stuff is going on, and we see that come out of him. He pours himself into his creation, all kinds of stuff, including us. And there's this beautiful moment. We're just in Genesis 1 and 2 right now. Okay? There's this beautiful moment where he creates us, humanity, male and female. He creates them, it says in the garden. And in that space, we have this crazy moment where humans are perfect. We're like God. We aren't gods, necessarily, but we're like him. We share his creativity. We share his compassion and passion and wisdom and all kinds of the other things. But you know what happens if you've been around for a while. Genesis 3 happens, right? And we have the fall. Mankind takes a step away from God, and suddenly men and women were not perfect anymore. Now, we still carry those qualities of being like him, made in his image, good, like we have the capacity for good and empathy and all this other stuff that God had, but mixed in with it is this garbage, this selfishness and pride, this desire to get my own way. <laughs> like, I feel that deep in my bones, you guys. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because this narrative helps me understand myself. I see this mix of beauty and kind of pain, like, beautiful and terrible describes most people that I know. That's the mix that we are, and that's the story of Christianity. Well, then, the rest of the Old Testament is really God trying to reach out to people in different ways. This represents a promise that he made to Abraham, this covenant that he made to Abraham. Then we get into the time of Moses, where he makes another covenant with Moses and the people, the Hebrews, the Israels, the Jewish people. Those are all synonyms in the Old Testament. So we see these patterns. Here we have the kings and the judges and the prophets. That covers a pretty big chunk of the Old Testament, actually. And as God can just continually reaching out until you know this part of the story, he sends Christ. He sends his own son. God comes in human flesh. Sometimes I like to use the phrase, God 3D printed himself for us, okay? It's good theology. It really is. God 3D prints himself on the scene and says, look, I am flesh and bone. I'm there with you. And then through Christ's death and resurrection, we're invited in with him. In Acts 2, we see the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's enduring presence with us, part of God himself, the Trinity that he gives to us. And then we enter into this age, really cool age, our age, the age of the church, his bride where we are that redeeming force in the world. We are Christ's representatives until we go back to the garden. The end, it looks a lot like the beginning. God brings us back into this place of perfection where men and women are with him again. No sin, no brokenness, no death, no pain. And he brings us into that world. That's the story. That's the story of Scripture. And I know sometimes you can get lost in which little pieces you're in at which time, and I totally get that, which is one of the reasons why I want to use this to help you see it. So when I'm throwing Scriptures on the screen, you'll see these icons bounce around because I want you to know, even if you aren't looking it up in real time, I want you to know where we're at in the story because there's like, you know, sometimes a 2,800-year difference in, in where we're at in the story, and you don't know it if I'm just jumping around. So that's why those are there. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about this pesky little word that I love in the Bible. Anybody know what it is? Anybody remember? Behold. Almost 1,100 times it's used. It's an annoying little tap on the shoulder 
that says, pay attention. Don't miss this. I made the, the reference last week. It was like, the, you know, having a friend in a movie that, like, just can't help themselves. Like, this is a good part. Watch this part. You're like, I get it, okay? 1,100 times in Scripture, we get tapped on the shoulder. And Scripture says, hey, pay attention to this. This is good. You're not going to want to miss out on this. Twice in our passage tonight, you'll see this, this little word that's there. And it gives us a tap on the shoulder we talked about last week to say, hey, wake up. Wake up. Our theme this whole year is the word awake. This idea that God is doing something around us. The spiritual world is real and we don't want to miss out on it. And so that's what we get to behold. That's why we're in these passages for these first seven weeks, because there are things that God wants us to pay attention to, to wake us up to. Y'all, some of us have been asleep from a spiritual perspective. It's time for us to wake up and look and see what God is doing. So I'm going to start talking about that tonight by talking with you guys about my friend, Coco the Gorilla. Do you know Coco? Anybody in here? Let me see a show of hands. Very few. All right. Coco was a gorilla who um, lived at the San Francisco Zoo, I think. Not San Diego, San Francisco, okay? And Coco became famous because and gorillas are intelligent, and incredibly intelligent creatures, and they started teaching Coco bits and pieces of sign language. And, but Coco caught on faster than most. They've tried this with gorillas in the past. Coco caught on much faster and over the course of her life learned almost a thousand words of sign language that she could sign. And so here's the thing. It is not that crazy for animals to learn a signal. The crazy thing was that Coco learned enough words that they could actually ask her questions, simple questions, you know, just kind of rough questions, and she could answer them. And it was like, we get to find out what a gorilla is thinking, Okay. Here are some of the questions that they asked Coco. What do gorillas like to do most? Gorilla love eat good. Okay, I relate to Coco. Okay. What makes you happy? Gorilla tree. It's Coco's response. What makes you angry? Work. <laughs> Me and Coco could hang out, I think. What do gorillas do when it's dark? Gorilla listen. Sleep. This is my favorite. After an earthquake happened, I'm in San Francisco, so earthquakes aren't rare there, okay? Big earthquake happens. They go and they ask Coco what happened. Her perspective on what happened in the zoo. And this was her response. Darn floor, bad bite, trouble, trouble. <laughs> and this wasn't just an anomaly, okay? This wasn't her just stringing random words together. This was her intended response because when they went back and asked her again about the earthquake, she repeated this phrase, darn floor, bad bite, trouble, trouble. You know what that means? I don't know either. I have no <laughs> idea what that means no idea what's going on. I mean, like, I can try. I could piece, like, I, maybe, I don't, darn floor, the ground was shaking. Maybe that's what she was, you know, big bite. Did she hurt her mouth? Did she fall over? I, I don't know. Neither do you. Okay, I love that story because sometimes when I read scripture, sometimes when I think about who God is, I feel this way. I feel like I have a thousand-word vocabulary 
and there's this other thing I'm being asked to describe or understand, and, I, like, and this is the best I got. I'm the one being like, darn floor, vampire, trouble, trouble. Like, this is the best I can do to explain to you who God is. I hear it in Scripture all the time. John, poor John, is given a, a revelation of the end times, and he's supposed to write it down for you and I. And he's like, there's fire and dragons <laughs> and like he's trying he's trying to take this unbelievably mysterious moment of faith I know and I know I'm kind of poking fun I believe it's real I genuinely believe it's real but he's trying to translate it into the physical something spiritual and supernatural into the physical realm I wrote down a few of these from scripture who is God what's God like this is just a few from scripture okay he's a fire he's a shelter He's a cornerstone. He's the bread of life. He's a fountain. He's a good friend. He's like being rescued. These are all ways that we see God described. So someone asks me what God's like, and it's like, I don't know, he's a, a friend, fountain, breadstone, fire shelter? He's like my gorilla words, just try, trying to get out there who God is and what he's like. But it's hard. And I want you to know tonight, God knew it would be hard for us. And again, I talked about this last week, the physical world, what we can see, what we can touch and taste and experiment with, this thing that's in front of us, this comes easier to us because our senses are wrapped around us. But in the world of faith, we're asked to believe and see and lean on and trust things that your physical eyes can't necessarily see. And God knew that that would be hard. Here's the thing, you guys. He gave you handles to hold on to. He did. God used, all over Scripture, he used physical, material things to help introduce us to difficult realities. That's where the text takes us tonight. And I want you to know God does that because he wants to know you, and he wants to give you ways that you can approach him. Right? So, the text that we're in tonight comes out of the very beginning of John, and it's about John the Baptist. So there's John the Apostle, but there's also John the Baptist, okay? And John the Baptist lived just before Jesus. And, I mean, they were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. But John's ministry as a prophet, he was a weird dude, you guys. He was known for being super eccentric. He lived out in the wilderness. Um, he, he preached repentance. He called out the religious hypocrites of the day. He wasn't a really well-liked dude. John, John the Baptist wasn't, and it eventually cost him his life, okay? But in, in this moment, he was also one of the few people who knew that the Messiah was coming. He knew that this long-awaited Jewish Messiah was coming. And so here's our text. You'll notice from the icon, we're in the life of Jesus here. John answered them. This is, you know what? I'm going to go back a little bit before this. No, we'll start there. That's fine. John answered them. This is John the Baptist talking. John answered the people who were talking to him, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, tap on the shoulder, pay attention, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, 
because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's talking about Jesus' baptism. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, this happens again, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, pay attention, that's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now, this might not seem like the most accessible scripture, okay, where you're like, what are we talking about here? Well, there, there are three things I want you to notice right off the bat. First of all, this is easy. What is John asking them to behold, to pay attention to? The Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's number one. But two and three are a little bit weird and out there, and it's going to take me a little bit to kind of grab those and pull them apart. Two and three are, why a lamb? What's the deal with the lamb? Why is, they, why is he calling Jesus a lamb? That's part of it. I want you to understand that piece tonight. But the other is baptism. There's a lot of baptism talk in here. Baptism with water, baptism with the Holy Spirit. Why is this happening and what in the world are they talking about? And this is where this takes us, the road that this takes us down is this space. I know it's going to seem complex for a moment. I want you to give me a little bit of grace in that because the, simp the simplicity that runs underneath it is this. God has given us tangible ways to know and follow him, and he's infused those with a spiritual reality. So, let's talk through that. In the Old Testament, um, and I'm, again, I'm going to highlight Moses' little part here, because if you read in the Old Testament the first five books, which sometimes we call the Pentateuch. Bible nerds in here, you might know that word, okay? But the, anybody know what Jewish people call the first five books of the Bible? The Torah. Do you know why they, do you know what Torah means? Anyone? Law. Literally just means law. They call it the Torah because Torah is law. And so, and the first five books of the Bible are full of um. You know, some of you in your life, you've been like, I'm going to read through the Bible, and I'm going to start at the beginning. And you get three books in, and you're like, this was a mistake. This was a terrible mistake. And you understand why, especially when you get into Leviticus, the Levitical laws, where it's about what you do if there's a boil on your skin and how far outside the camp you have to go to go to the bathroom. And it's like, it's tedious, and it's meticulous, and all these specific laws. And you guys, one of those... And this sounds barbaric to us, but one of them was animal sacrifice. One of them was all these different sacrifices that you had to bring to the tabernacle or that you had to bring to the temple. This is so foreign to us. And it's, and it's one of the reasons why the Old Testament feels weird and alien, okay? But this, this sense of animal sacrifice. In that process, in the Old Testament, I would encourage you, first of all, if it feels weird, it should. Okay, that was going on 3,500 years ago, and it's not our part of the story. Do you notice that up here? Sometimes we judge ancient cultures or other cultures with our new sensibilities, and we say, God, I don't think it was cool that you related to that. You know what? This was a warring, tribal, agrarian culture, and God was trying to relate to them, and this is the way that he did it. He said, hey, I want you to do this because this is taking something familiar and helping you understand a spiritual reality. 
with the unfamiliar. Does that make sense? So in that space, that's what God was asking them to do over and over and over again. You know about Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. Like, you know what those are. Even those of you who have never been in a church before, you know, like, you've heard of the Ten Commandments, but that ain't it. It's not just ten. There's over 600 commandments given in those books all over the place. So, what in the world do we do with that? <laughs> that if, you were a, if you're a follower of God 3,000 years ago, that animal sacrifice was a part of what you were supposed to be doing at that time. Well, one of the reasons why God gave that rule to them is because he wanted, we're told later in Scripture, he wanted them to understand that sin, when you broke covenant with him and with other people, there was a cost. There was a cost. It hurt. And them having to sacrifice livestock was a visual aid for that. As a matter of fact, we're told in, I think it's in Hebrews, yeah, in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The Hebrews author is unpacking for us why God did that to begin with. But here's the problem, <laughs> you guys. There's a problem in this. This is especially true on the Jewish Passover when every family, every Jewish family was, ex was expected to sacrifice a lamb. Every one of them. So here's my question. I, th that seems weird to me. The whole lamb thing, if you're like, I did not expect animal sacrifice to be on the thing we'd be talking about tonight, okay? I'm with you, okay? But this is the reason why John the Baptist says, behold, there's the sacrificial lamb when he's pointing to Jesus. Every Jewish person there was like, oh, I get that. I know what we're talking about right now. Here's the thing I don't get. Be bothered by this with me for a second, because God says, I want your sacrifice. Where the Hebrews author tells us, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It's like, why did you do that, God? I don't know, but I'll accept that you did it. Here's the thing that's difficult, though. Three more scriptures. Hosea, I desire mercy and not an animal sacrifice. Psalm 51, 16, God will not be pleased with a burnt offering. 1 Samuel 15, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. What the heck, God? Do you want sacrifices or don't you? What are you doing to us down here? You're telling us that you want animal sacrifices. You're telling us this is the way to you. And yet throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again, God's like, yeah, I don't like your sacrifices. Is he schizophrenic? <laughs> if this is the way that God asked the Jewish people to come to him, then why is he telling them something different? I just want to leave that problem right there, okay? I'm going to come back to it. I just need you to recognize the messiness that God asked for this and then wasn't pleased with it and said, nope, don't want it, okay? Leaving the mess right there because then we're going to jump to the New Testament here. In the New Testament, and this is also a part of our, uh, of our passage, it talked about baptism. And it, some of you have probably seen baptisms. Different churches practice them different ways. Some churches, if you, if you grew up in a Catholic background, about half of my family is Catholic, then you've probably been to an infant baptism where they baptize a baby. Uh, some of you who've grown up in other churches, you've seen adult baptisms, so that becomes a part of like someone, they hit the age 13 and they're automatically baptized. You, some of you have seen people sprinkled. Some of you have seen people poured on. Some of you have seen people dunked underwater with force, okay? All those different backgrounds, I promise, are represented in this room. Why do we do that? I mean, we practice immersion 
as a ministry. And, and we've, you know, we'll have baptism soon, I promise, because that's, that, that's something God is doing every year of people saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and this is typically a part of it. Why do we do that? Because of scriptures like Acts 2. In Acts 2, Peter preaches a sermon. And I'm going to read just a little bit before this. It says, now when they heard this, this is the people who heard the sermon, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he tells them. They say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And we see that answer in other places in Scripture too. I'll throw them up here. Acts 8, 12, Acts 22, 16, Colossians 2, 12 are all like commandments that you should be baptized. Galatians 3, 27, for crying out loud, says that we're clothed with Christ at our baptism. Well, that seems pretty clear. Here's the problem. Same problem. Why then does Peter, who's the same one, by the way, who was preaching in Acts 2, why does he say this? This water, he's talking about Noah, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of the dirt from the body. So in other words, Peter's now saying, oh, it has nothing to do with you going underwater, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter, do we need to get baptized or not? Make up your mind. (laughs) If you gave us this symbol, I mean, the Old Testament one has been fulfilled, right? The whole animal sacrifice. We don't do that anymore, okay? That one has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ did away with that. Why, though, with baptism, that is something that God asked us to do, again, do we have a verse that says, no, 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 no. It's not about the thing. It's about the thing inside the thing. It's about the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is God doing this to us? Why is God giving us something we're supposed to do if he doesn't really care about the thing that we're supposed to do and he cares about something else that sits inside of us? Because he loves us and he's giving us tangible ways, things that are familiar to us. You get water, okay? You take a bath, you take a shower, you understand how water works. And he's taking something familiar and he's infusing it with spiritual meaning to try to help give you a visual aid to know how to come to him. He said, I want to make the unfamiliar familiar for you. That's the kind of God that we serve. Why animal sacrifice? Why? Because he knew the people needed a physical, tangible way to approach him, one that combined the internal and the external. That culture needed that. I'm grateful that our culture, that's not the way that God spoke into that. Why baptism? God doesn't need you just to get wet. He knew that it would be good for you to have a marker in your life where you'd be able to stand up in front of people and tell them what God was doing in your life. He gave that as a gift to you, not as a burden. It helps us pause. It helps us redirect our eyes. It it helps us pay attention. It helps us to behold. It's a tap on the shoulder that says, hey, remember what God is doing in this space. I think God, you guys, has given us visual aids all over the place in this world. I think it's the reason why he set up a bunch of things the way that he did. I wrote down a few that came to mind. I believe that one of the reasons why God created men and women so was we would understand what God meant when he called himself the groom and us his bride. We get it. You've been to a wedding before, right? He talks about the end times like a wedding feast, like a party. 
He's trying to help you understand that eternity is going to look like a giant wedding reception party. He's like, hey, you guys, this is what this looks like. That's how much I love you. I think the reason why, even in creation, you guys, like most nature doesn't work the way that humans work. Okay, we could have laid eggs. <laughs> like, we could have laid seven million eggs and had four of them survive. Okay, there are a lot of species that work that way. That's not the way that God did it. God set us up in relationship with mom and dad, with uncles and aunts, with brothers and sisters. Why? I think because when he called himself father, that you'd be like, okay, I, I get that. He's helping me understand. He's helping me take this spiritual unfamiliarity and make it familiar. God's good that way to us. I think when Jesus said that we are supposed to behave as brothers and sisters, we get it. Because even those of you who have difficult relationships with brothers and sisters or with your dad, you know what the right thing is supposed to look like. You feel that in your gut. So Jesus gave us these handles. God gave us these handles that we could hold on to to understand and describe the spiritual and the unfamiliar. They're all around us everywhere, y'all. And he did that because he loves us. He loves us and he wants to take care of us. And we've gotten that wrong in a million ways. Maybe the biggest one is this. God knew we needed familiar landmarks to help us see, understand, and participate in the spiritual world. But when we remove God from that equation, we're left with cold, lifeless religion. Let me say that one more time. God knew we needed familiar landmarks to help us see, understand, and participate in the spiritual world. But when we remove God from that equation, we're left with cold, lifeless religion. In other words, in spaces like this, this is an example of what I'm talking about tonight. Spaces like this. I don't believe that we're just going through the motions, that I, that I am just trying to give you a Bible lesson tonight. I believe that the infinite God wants to break into your world and completely remap the way that you think about yourself and the way that you see other people around you. I believe grace has the power to transform you from the inside out. I don't believe I'm preaching an ancient text. I believe I'm preaching a living one that's alive today, and if this campus exists in a thousand years, somebody will be standing on it talking about the transformational love of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. And the moment that we ditch that, but we continue the structures of church and church programs or of Bible study, but the living God isn't in it anymore, religion. That's all you're left with is cold, lifeless religion. Some of you have seen it, and if you've seen it firsthand, you're already sick of it at age 20, okay? Because it smells from a distance. And what I'm talking about smells different. The campus can smell the gospel on us when God is redeeming us. When we're not caught up in just this argument, but our eyes are raised and God's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, no, pay attention. There's a spiritual reality underneath your nose. There's a battle that's life and death right now that I am with you in in this journey. And God uses all of these physical things around us as markers for the spiritual. Remember, too, that this isn't all on us. Whoops, let me go back to that. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You guys, this ultimately is God's work, but, let me give you a big but, 
here. You ready for the big but? The big but is this. There are things we can do. There's nothing wrong with effort in our faith. As a matter of fact, it's necessary. It's important for us to take steps to to God. It's important for us to grab onto those handles that he gave us, but the majority of the work is not up to us. I promise it's like you taking a baby step toward him and him taking 99 million toward you. You could not have claimed to have done it on your own, but that doesn't mean you can't do anything. You certainly can't save yourself. You cannot, you cannot earn God's favor with your good works. But I'll tell you this, if you're like, I'm going to do nothing, I will do absolutely nothing, your experience of God will match what you've chosen to do. And so I'm asking you to lift your eyes. We talked last week about what it meant to ask and seek and knock, and it's one of the things I'm asking of you tonight. Again, to lean in, to behold to think for yourself, what are the physical things around me that God has, has infused himself into? Tonight's an example of that. I've already given you that one, but just let me give you a few others as a ministry, okay? As a ministry, we, we provide a bunch of these physical paths. So you making a commitment to show up on Monday night to study the Word and the worship together? Like, this could just be a human gathering, Or maybe God wants to do something deeper. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to convict you or encourage you or introduce you to someone. Maybe maybe your future husband or wife is sitting in this room, all right? And that's a spiritual work that God wants to do in you. Maybe it has nothing to do with any of that. Maybe you're going to walk through a really rough spring. And God's developing community in your life right now. The friends you're making this week, those people who you're like, I don't know, what's your major, and who are you, and where do you live? And, the, you know, all these conversations that start like that won't be like that in the spring. And maybe you will be walking through something with your family, and you were like, thank you, Jesus. I did not know what you were doing in August, but I see it now. This normal little gathering that God may be doing an eternal work in for your benefit or for the people around you. Maybe it's something like that. Joining a small group, same thing. Seeing the power of community in action. Fall retreat. Listen, if you go with open hands, I promise God will do something there in you, through you. I'm not promising that because I have the authority to. I've just seen God do it over and over and over and over again. Go that weekend expectant that God has something to do in your life. And I'm guessing he'll do it. Going to church, we want this to be a part of your rhythm. There are a lot of different churches represented in this community here. Developing a rhythm of being with the people of God. Serving. I'm not going to talk much about that because we're going to talk a lot about that next week. How we serve other people and the opportunities that we have to do that around here. All of those things, you guys, are normal, physical things that God wants to infuse spiritual realities into. They're easy handles for you to grab onto. But it's not just encounter or it's not just your church. There are ways that you personally do this too. Meeting God in quiet spaces of prayer this week. Reading the Bible for yourself. I talked last week about reading Jesus and taking him at his word. Is that something you've intentionally done this week? If not, can I ask you to lean into it? You say, Ben, what's God going to do with 15 minutes in my morning? I don't know. I dare you to try. He might have some things to say, some ways to convict. Ask God to help you know how to pray for and who to pray for and love and serve around you this week. 
my experience is he's very quick to answer those prayers. God, show me somebody around me who's hurting right now. Holy Spirit's like, how about that person? You're like, oh, that was a quick answer. <laughs> now, now I got to do something with that. Okay? He's quick to answer those prayers. What physical realities does God want to infuse with spiritual meaning this week? Listen, if that's not you, if you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I just, I don't even know why I'm in the room. I just showed up. I just, like, I want to hang out and sort of, like, watch this from the back for a while. If that's you, you are more than welcome here, all right? But I promise you every week I'm going to grab onto you and try to take you deeper into what God and the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He did not call you here to be a spectator. He called you here to dive in and grow deeper with him. I said it last week, I'll say it again. That is where we are going as a community this year. You can spectate that if you want to, but I promise it's more fun from the inside. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, do a work. Do a work in the things that feel meaningless in our lives, in our, in our jobs, in our homework in the people that we sit next to in class. God, all of these things that just seem like physical realities to us, would you do a larger thing in them? I think back to Isaiah from last week. Behold, I'm doing something new. It springs forth from the ground. Do you not perceive it? We know you are, Lord. Help us perceive it. Thank you, Jesus, for the unbelievable privilege it is not just to be saved by you and rescued by you, but even to collaborate with you for eternity. We pray all this through your name. Amen.